I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kathy from the Kindergarten Kiosk Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect those of others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. District leaders nationwide have confirmed that online learning is here to stay. As one in five districts are planning to adopt or have already adopted a fully online school. With the evolving landscape in the competitive field of education, you might be wondering what you can do to stand out. Well, I encourage you to look into National Virtual Teacher Association, or NVTA, to pursue a college-accredited program recognized by states across the country to certify educators in online education. Their certification empowers educators to provide the world-class virtual instruction that every student deserves. The average teacher needs one semester to complete the program, and it culminates in a digital portfolio that you may use in job interviews or even with your current administration to, you know, (laughs) negotiate a raise or promotion. Some of the topics to be covered in the certification include establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources. The NVTA certification process was created to establish a valid and reliable research-based teacher qualification training process for virtual teachers to enhance their teaching and develop their ongoing reflective skills to improve teaching capacity. NVTA certification is a challenging and meaningful process to support your personal and professional goals. NVTA is an affiliate partner for Teaching Learning Leading K-12. Click the link in the show notes or go to my webpage, stephenmoletto.com, find the NVTA logo and go to their website that way. And if you do that, if you buy something, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 gets a commission and I greatly thank you for that. So go check them out. I think you'll be glad you did. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with PC Smith. She's the author of the book, The Shingle Weaver's Picnic. It's an incredible story that's just a page turner. It's a, it's a mystery. It's a drama. It's, a, it, it's got a thriller aspect going to it. You're going to like this book and you're going to love this talk. We're going to talk about writing. We're going to talk about the novel. And we're also going to talk about uh, being a child during uh, the World War II era. So uh, great stuff. Lots to learn today. And by the way, before I forget, it would be so awesome if you took time to go into that app that you're listening to me on and rated and reviewed the podcast. Could you do that for me? Oh, that would be so cool. Thanks. Enjoy. Hey, not so long ago, my, uh, my wedding band broke. That's right. And it was unrepairable. Well, that was crazy. And, you know, and... BoonRings.com came to my rescue. That's Boon Titanium Rings. You can find them at BoonRings.com. And uh, by the way, they're now an affiliate partner of ours, but I also use them. My wedding band is now one of their rings, and it's really cool. It's laser engraved and has these these neat stars on it and pistons. But they came to my rescue, and I got to tell you what's really cool, and it's in the name itself. They make titanium rings. This is not going to break, right? (laughs) No way. So not only can you have them personalized, but you can have them engraved, you can have them carved, you can have, uh, you can have them, uh, you know, designs with uh, um, wood, meteorites, stone, precious metals, acrylic, and uh, other inlays. You can also have uh, uh, these neat rings that, uh, I mean, just wait till you see the, the Black Zirconium and Stealth Series rings. I mean, those are just way too cool. And, and you know, and they also make some really cool tool earrings, pendants, and cufflinks. 
Yeah, Boone Rings is pretty cool. That's right. You ought to go to boonrings.com. And they're an affiliate partner of ours, which means that if you go to checkout and you use my code, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. So you want to use all caps, T-L-L-K, and the number 12. So once again, you use my code, which is all caps, T-L-L-K, and the number 12. At checkout, you'll get a 10% discount. That's right. And uh, you'll help out the podcast because we'll get a commission. So go to boonrings.com. You'll be glad you did. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. Now here's Steve with this week's show. P.C. Smith, also known as Patty, is a well-known stained glass artist in Carmel-by-the-Sea, California, for over 15 years creating custom pieces for celebrities and clients all around the world. Upon retirement, she took up her second love, writing, and has published poetry and short stories before writing this, her first novel. She is a mother of two, a grandmother of four, and a great-grandmother of seven. She lives on the Monterey Peninsula, California, and in Darby, Montana, with her loving husband and two dogs. So a little bit about the book we're going to be talking about. It's called The Shingle Weaver's Picnic. It's a poignant and timeless story of a close-knit family touched by tragedy in the darkest days of the Second World War, and a young girl who must cope with the unthinkable when a child is murdered during her summer visit to her grandparents' house. Smith's wonderfully crafted story transports us to a long-gone era and takes us intimately inside of a shocking story. How do people react to the horrible news? What secrets come to light? Can a child's innocence still exist amidst amidst a violent world? The Shingle Weaver's Picnic not only entertains, but it touches the hearts of readers and explores a moving side of the human spirit. Through the power of this story, readers will no doubt find themselves changed, suggests Smith. They will enter a time and place that on one hand seems long gone and on the other seems ever-present. Patty, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Well, Steve, thanks for having me on your program, and uh, a happy St. Patrick's Day to you and all your listeners. Awesome. Yes, and it is a great St. Patrick's Day, that it is. So thanks. Same to you. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Very Thank cool. you. Thank you. Uh, Patty, let's start here. In your bio, I read that you're a stained glass artist. I mean, how'd you get started doing that, and do you have a work that you're, very, that you're just really, really proud of that one work? Uh, how I got started? Well, it's... A lot of the stuff that happens to me lately in my life is sort of like, I call it, sort of falling into a pot of jam. Uh, I was living in Carmel with my sister, and she was working as an assistant in the stained glass studio, and she was going to leave town for, oh, four or five days. So she asked if I would go in and assist the owner, and I said, well, you know, I don't know anything about stained glass. I've never cut a piece in my life. She said, oh, she just needs you to help her a little bit. So I went in, and I walked through the door, and the owner said, today you're going to make a lamp. I said, excuse me? <laughs> and she sat me down with all these different parts and pieces and gave me a real quick little runaround about what I'm supposed to do and then disappeared. So I was sitting there with this pile of things, and I said, start putting them together. I said, calm down. It'll be all right. She's not going to expect the world from you. And I finished this lamp. It was made of uh, crystals and stained glass, and we put it upstairs. And the next day, Kim Novak walked in the door and bought it. Oh, my gosh. If you remember the actress, Kim Novak, maybe yeah, I'm aging myself. Oh, but I know exactly who you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, well, I was I was aghast. 
So I started to fall in love with it, and so I worked more and more with her, and pretty soon it wasn't just an assistant. I was doing actual things. The next lamp I made, I sold to Andy Griffiths, nice. and then the first window I ever made, I sold to Paul and Joanne, and Joanne Newman. So I was my thing class artist to the stars. You couldn't talk to me for weeks. <laughs> my head got so big about it. But yeah, that's how I fell into it, and I eventually ended up buying the studio, and um, my sister and I ran it. And I think probably the pieces I'm most proud of, I had two really nice pieces, I thought, in the Monterey Museum of Art for a six-week review. And that, that was a, a thrilling experience, too. So that's how I came into the stained glass business. That's awesome, and it's some cool, yeah. <laughs> cool customers there too. I mean, what a what a neat story! You got there's a book in that just by itself. <laughs> <laughs> probably yes, probably yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you. thanks for telling me about that. I, the, you know, you've said that uh, you've said this. I was born during the Great Depression and was raised as a young girl during World War II. I used to spend summers with family in a small town, and those experiences helped inform and inspire my book. I have enjoyed. I have enjoyed taking readers back to an era that may be physically gone, uh, but uh, you know, still lives in the minds and hearts of the surviving members of the greatest generation. Could you describe a very memorable event from your days as a child in that small town during these summers? Well, I think the biggest event is the name of the book, The Shingle Weaver's Picnic. Uh, Everett was a small town at the time. It's now much larger. A little mill town, and just about everybody in the town uh, was responsible to the mill for something. So every summer, 4th of July, uh, the mill owners put on this picnic. Everything was free, ice cream, and we had log rolling contest and gre- grease pig races, and it nice. was so much fun. Um, it, it was a memorable experience, and the reason uh, that it's named what it is is at the time that they not only milled wood for, for building, but um, shingles were a very popular topping for houses at the, at the time. And so part of the mill and part of their income from the mill was gathering and stacking and shaping and wrapping and binding these uh, packs of shingles, and they were called shingle weavers. So this is how it came to be called the Shingle Weavers Picnic. That's awesome. That's very cool. So, it, <laughs> it, so you know, just uh, to go along with this, this same thought here, so now we know a little bit about the picnic, and um, what did you like to do, and, and what was your favorite thing to do as a kid to play? I mean, what did what'd you like to do? Well, it was really nice. I had, uh, there was a plethora of uh, young kids my age that lived in my grandparents' neighborhood, and when I would go every summer, I always had the same, you know, buddies, and we had uh, wonderful things. We took picnics, we had picnics, we went out to the strawberry fields, and after dinner, we played Kick the Can or Mother May I or all these little games that you know, kids used to pay at the time. We even decided we were going to be strawberry moguls at one time. Nice. We, we volunteered to come and pick strawberries. They came and picked us up at like 4 o'clock in the morning on a corner, threw us in the back of like a cattle car. We joggled our way out to the fields, and then they hand us a crate, and you go out in the field to fill up the crate. And then there was a straw boss that used to come up and down the lines and complain if you had too many and not the right color, you're supposed to pick them bigger, not so small. And uh, I came to the conclusion that uh, my career should go in another direction. So that was my uh, last of being a strawberry mogul. It only lasted for four weeks. <laughs> that's a pretty good, though. Four weeks, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, but 
it was an experience, uh, and then at the picnic itself, because there was a lot of preparation for that picnic. There was a big parade, and we all made uh, crepe paper costumes, and uh, we walked with one of the kids' little brothers in, the, in a wagon that was all decorated up in red, white, and blue. You know, the band was playing God Bless America, and it was like the whole town was just so full of, of patriotic feelings as we marched down the street, and that was part of the, the thing, too. And just about everybody ended up at the lake for the uh, Shingle Weavers picnic. So it was quite a town event. That's awesome. And, and what's really cool here, by the way, is that so your world that you designed with your book is not a made-up world. It's this is No, it's pretty much what I what I live. It's not really a um, everything isn't exactly as I <laughs> thought or exactly what happened, but the the feeling, the town, the characters, um uh, the people and the picnic and all that stuff. That's the way that little town was at this time, at that time. And my grandfather was a manager of a lumber mill. Uh, so I just became part of the town, you know, each summer for a little while. And then I would go back. That's very cool. Very cool. I always, I was kind of jealous of uh, uh, kids who had those experiences where they went to some place during the summer with relatives or something. That, so they had that lake or that uh, that event that was kind of like part of their life for a long period of time. I think that's kind yeah, of... it was was for a long time. That's awesome. So let's get into your book. The book is called The Shingle Weaver's Picnic, and mm-hmm. you have other writings, but this is your first novel, and you're in your eighties, right? A uh, matter of fact, I'll be eighty-five the end of March. Congrats! And 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 so, uh, how, let me ask you: How did that help you in writing your novel? Well, I think the older you get, you get a different perspective on life and the world. Looking back, uh, and I evidently have quite a great memory, uh, my mother says, you couldn't possibly remember this or that. I said, well, <laughs> yes, I do. She said, well, you were only two. Well, so be it. So, uh, yeah, it. Uh, I think life's lessons have a lot of teaching you and putting things into perspective and where things are really important and how much you really share with other people around the world. I mean, it's just time does definitely teach you a lesson. Yes, it does. Very cool. And it, and it, and I got to tell you, it uh, it shows through your book because it fits everything. Just fits so well together, and it's just uh, it makes you want to read more. And I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. But it's you know, it's good stuff. I you know, I, since I'm kind of transitioning there, I want to say you have a wonderful way with words. Uh, you paint a picture that's easy to see and feel what's going on. And you know, like for example, early in the book. Um, Here's, a, here's something I pulled from the book. Cricket placed her dad's aviator wings gently on his monogrammed handkerchief and wrapped it snugly and put it back under her pillow. It wasn't long before she surrendered herself to the night. With heavy eyelids, she floated deep in dreams filled with the endless possibilities of the adventure she was about to take. I mean, it just, mm-hmm. I just, the, the way you create images is awesome because it just makes you feel like you're there or you're, you understand what the, the child's thinking about or the adult or whatever. I, I think it's awesome. Well, thank you. Yes. You're welcome. And is this something that you work at developing, or is it just something that you're able to do? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, I, as I said, I evidently have a, a great imagination. It's <laughs> worked well for me and gotten me in trouble on a few occasions when I was younger. Uh, but I, I sort of envision the scenario, and then I just almost like close my eyes and write what I see. And that's where my words come from. That's awesome because it's and it's it so feels, you know, it's it so feels so real throughout the book because you just do a great job of painting that, that imagery. Uh, Thanks. 
In your story, World War II begins, and one of your characters has to say goodbye and um, leaves for war. Did you have this experience where you had to say goodbye to somebody? Yes, actually, it was uh, my dad. He took off um, uh, when I was very young, but still very, I remember him very, very well for the Merchant Marines. And um, he served that way, but there were so many of those Merchant Marine ships that were blown out of the water that it was a very scary period of time for our, our um, family. Fortunately, he got back alive uh, with a lot of stories to tell. But yeah, I understood then how hard it was to say goodbye to somebody that you thought you might never see again. So a lot of brave people during World War II that never got the pat on the back. Very much so, very much so. And I just, I, you know, can't imagine that feeling of, especially as a child, that uh, having to understand that, you know, hope, you know, probably not dwelling too long on the idea of whether they're coming back or not, having to keep that thought in your mind, or the other adults trying to help you keep that thought in mind that he'll be back. <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, we all tried to, everybody, I don't know, when Pearl Harbor was hit, it was like a personal punch in the gut to every American they all took it personally, and uh, I've never seen since then that time of type of unity uh, in our country where um, they felt so personally insulted that there was a sneak attack and they killed our young men. Everybody wanted to do something to help the war effort once we were in it, and if you couldn't, if you weren't you know, young enough to go or you had something uh, that forbid you to be in the service, everyone chipped in and they did things here at home the home front, they used to call it, to do what we could to make this war a one that we would win. And it was it was a feeling I haven't felt since, well, maybe a little bit after 9-11. But it didn't last after 9-11, but it did last for the four years during the war. Gotcha. The, uh, let's kind of use this to segue into the idea of what, in living in a small town, what life was like during the war. Can you kind of give us a little bit that, about that? Uh, sure. Uh, let me see. Uh, I was pretty young, but I do recall certain things just traveling around with my grandparents a lot. Um, there was a lot of trucks were pressed into service, and so the horse and the drawn wagons came back into the everyday site on the streets for making deliveries and to save gas and, and rubber because those are things that were so hard to come by. There was a 35-mile-an-hour speed limit that everyone didn't go past that. And I think that also was the begin of, of beginning of carpooling. And uh, toasters and irons and, let's see, washing machines. Uh, most household appearance, uh, appliances, to be exact, where they used to be in the store, there was a sign that said, gone to war. And <laughs> there was none of these that could be had. And let's see, what else do I remember? Um, well, there was... Uh, there was a lot of giving. People did a lot of giving. There was, um, I think, my my best would guess be blood drives. Then there were scrap drives, and um, there was, in fact, my grandfather was one of the wardens that used to walk the streets at night to make sure you had your blinds with blacked out so they wow. wouldn't be shining through. And well, that's a pretty good remembrance of what a small town was like. I felt, you know, everyone was sort of pulling together to get the job done. And uh, they had to do with a lot of uh, inconvenience of the things that they couldn't get their hands on. And sure, there was hoarders and, and the black market, but you wouldn't be caught dead in that town being caught 
to be a hoarder, or you would have been completely shunned because everyone had that spirit, and it was pretty nice to see. I can imagine, and I, and I can imagine being shut down, too, because I'm sure you knew you pretty much, the, the smaller the town, the more everybody knew who people were. Oh, yeah, everybody knew everybody's business <laughs> in that town. And the, that's matter of fact, that's where I got most of my information about the book when I grandmother would have her lady friends over for oh, quilting parties or sometimes just for tea. I would sit on the floor and play with dolls or, you know, whatever while they were doing their thing. And uh, I don't know why, but adults seemed to think that they spoke in a certain tone like, um, you know, she did that, that a child wouldn't, you know, understand what you're talking about. Well, a lot of it I didn't understand who they were talking about, who was doing what with who. But I, I, I understood the words that they were saying, and it was only later that I understood the actual meaning. But um, that's how I feel. One day when I got older, I was thinking, you know, that was pretty much a little Peyton place. What goes on in a small town behind closed doors is no small thing. <laughs> so that's how I learned what was happening in that little world. That's that's awesome. That's yeah. That yeah, uh, it was great. Especially because I can imagine, you know, I, I, I was spending a lot of time with my own grandparents when I was a young kid and hanging out with them. Um, a lot of times they forget you're there. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, which means that you suddenly became uh, um, the recipient of information that you're like, oh, wait a second, what are they talking about? <laughs> Well, I also, my mom was an avid reader, uh, avid reader. She that, and she really pushed it on to our, us kids. And at times we thought it was a little much. But I, I learned to read pretty darn well even before I started school. My very first book was um, The Wizard of Oz. She had to explain some of the bigger words, but I sure got the, the grasp of the story. So even when they were spelling things that were happening, I knew how to spell that, and I knew how to spell that. And... Um, my grandmother did not want to discuss it at the end of the day because I would ask her question, what did that mean, Grandma? She says, well, we'll talk about that later, dear. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Very nice. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Um, I, I need to write that someplace. I mean, I'll talk about it later. <laughs> That's good. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, early in your book, this comment is, is read. Uh, but nothing in her young world could even begin to give a hint that this would be her last trip to visit her grandparents, her last summer of innocence, the last time she would ever believe in anything like fairies, magic, and particularly a saying like happily ever after. Could you talk a little about yes. how children might see the world differently than the adults around them? Well, from what I've observed and from what I remember, uh, I think children aren't they're not filtered like we become when we become adults. They just sort of say things, you know, as they see it. And, for example, they easily say, well, gee, what's the matter with your hair? And that would be, you know, their explanation of something that they noticed that you just had a bad haircut, you know. <laughs> and so they don't you know, stop and think, well, maybe I shouldn't say this, maybe I shouldn't feel that. So I think you get the real inside core that hasn't been sullied or jaded yet and so they look at the world pretty much i think the way it is and uh when they ask questions they they don't deserve not being told of course age appropriately the answer and i do think that you know that makes a big difference in how they can face the world if they have that type of a parent or person that speaks to them you know in their own way but true that's that's uh so very real right there that's uh and it, and and it definitely happens in your uh, 
in your book, we have because uh, mm-hmm. you have these characters that because uh, you pretty much center on children um, who are friends because of, I guess, kind of the coming together during the summer at uh, where your main character is going to the grandparents' house. Yes, yes. And uh, um, you know, one of the things that I wanted to kind of talk about here is. You know, you've kind of talked about this just a little bit. How did you create your characters? I mean, did, do you have a process, or was it just, you know, kind of remembering, or did you know, did they kind of come out of the, the thoughts as the story progressed? I mean, how, did you? I mean, how did you go about creating them? Well, a lot of them uh, were actual people that, you know, I could go back and think of like the sheriff, and I can remember what he looked like to me and how he talked and how he walked. So he was already a character that was sort of formed <laughs> that just, you know, fit right into my story. And um, that's pretty much what I did. Or I, if I'm just starting from scratch, I just build, I just come up with a character, a person, and then I uh, start with the bones, you know, how tall, how short, you know, how do they walk, uh, and then dress them, you know, what are their eyes like, uh, their hair, they have a nice smile. Is the man bearded or, or close shaved? And I have all these little characters already dressed and ready to go. And then when I start writing, they all come in for an interview, and I pick the ones I want for my book. That's awesome. Simple as that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that. They come in for an interview. That's awesome. <laughs> they do. They come in for an interview and. And uh, I think that started when I was really young. I was an avid movie lover. I that was my idea of a Saturday bag of popcorn and the local theater, and I was just happy as a clam. And when I'd get home, I'd, I'd redo the whole story for my mom, even the dialogue, and I'd tell her how people were dressed, and that if I had done that, mom, I'd change that skirt to here, or he wouldn't have worn that hat. And uh, that's sort of where I got into uh, character creation. I think even back then. That's very cool. That's uh, so. I got to ask since you brought it up. Did you have a favorite movie or a favorite actor or actress from that time? Uh, I've got so many. Um, of course, most of them are gone now, which ages me no end. But I loved uh, Catherine Hepburn, Betty Davis. Um, okay, come on, I can't think of a name. John Wayne. I loved his westerns as a kid. Nice. And uh, Clark Gable. Oh, man, I thought he was just wonderful. And. Uh, Today, I you know I'm still a movie nut, and I love characters like uh, Anthony Hopkins. He could read a phone book to me, and I'd go watch. <laughs> That's <laughs> how much I really enjoy him. So yeah, I, that did a lot with helping me with my characters. That's awesome. That's that's very cool. And um, it, one of the th- one of the things that I uh, I got to ask while I'm still talking writing before I shift back to your book is uh, so do you outline or do you kind of start with the idea and just see where your imagination takes you? Well, I, I usually, I'm just starting my second book, so I can't talk from a great amount of experience, but I've noticed I'm paying more attention now on this one because it, the, the whole process isn't so awesome to me. I'm a little more aware of how to go about this, or at least to make myself comfortable. So I, I do, I gather characters, and then I think about story and plot and what do I want to present in in the book as far as, uh, like, well, this one, the one I did at Shingle Weaver's Picnic was a little girl's, you know, experiences in life about what was happening during the war. I seem to like the, the World War II, 1942 era. Uh, maybe it's because I can remember some of it. But that's pretty much it. I just sort of think of characters and then think of an idea I want to get across, and then I work from there, you know, and I write it down. 
and then it changes, you know, over a period of time. By the time I'm really ready to get down and write, I've got several different characters. I've got several different plots I'm interested in trying to um, uh, put together, and then it just sort of starts flowing after that. These characters take, believe it or not, I'm not nuts, but these <laughs> characters take on a life of their own. They do. Well, at I... the end of the day, I read my chapter, and I thought, oh, look what he said, or look what he did. And people say, oh, really? I say, well, happened to me, you know. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's um, Well, I don't think you're nuts, but I, I do think that your characters are alive and real. So, because uh, that's, uh, that's the way it felt as I'm reading the book. I mean, it just, uh, it it's so cool because as you, you know, when you start into a, a new world as a reader, you know, sometimes, uh, um, sometimes it takes a writer a little bit of time to kind of get a groove happening where the reader kind of follows them and such. And then other times, you know, he's kind of hit from the start. And, and I got to tell you, uh, you, you just you hit from the start. It's it's uh, it's really cool, Patty. It's it's like I start getting uh, um, you just <laughs> you, you want to know more, and it, you know, and it's uh, I, I like that. You, you just have a very engaging way of writing. So good stuff. Well, thank you. If anybody wants to know anything more, you know, about me, I well, the funny part about that is, is I was going to be one of those rebel seniors. I was not going to have a computer until <laughs> I found out I had to have a computer. And then I was definitely not going to get a laptop. And that's until I found out how easy it is to sit on the sofa and type. And then for sure, I was not going to get an iPhone that had an IQ higher than mine. <laughs> so, but I did. Next thing I know, my watch is talking to me. And now I've got a website. So I mean, <laughs> I just chuckle. It's just a progression of this high-tech world that a little old senior lady has taken. And um, it's pretty funny. But my website, if anyone's interested, is authorpcsmith.com, all small letters. And, um, yeah, you can find out more about the book or where you could buy it if you're interested. And, um, yeah, very there cool. you have it. Very cool. And I'll, I'll make sure that uh, your website's in my show notes and uh, so that people can go there to find find that. And and before we finish up, I mean, I want to – I also want to make sure that I ask you uh, um, – this question because what's you know your your book centers around these characters coming together in the in the town for the the the, the picnic the shingle weavers picnic and uh, mm -hmm. uh, main characters visiting her grandparents and uh, and you've got these different characters that interact and uh, and some of them you really grow to hate <laughs> and some of them <laughs> and, and I mean that in a way in which they're you know they're not nice they're not good and uh, um, and then there's others that you really like and you hope something good happens and and, uh, and and then you know some things do happen, and it's like life you've, you've got happening in, in there. And eventually, what happens is your story involves the murder of a child. And and talking about uh, this, you see what happens in this small town because they've they've all been interacting with one another. There's other things that have been going on um, that are not really for a child's ears or eyes, and and uh, yet they experience some of it. How would a murder rock a small town, especially if it involved a child? Well, I think from what I uh, have observed of my small town um, experience is everybody knows everybody's business. It's just an automatic thing. And it's just like when Pearl Harbor was struck. When this happened in this small town, it had never anything like that had ever happened before. And the mayor thought that maybe somebody walking around the town, somebody they know, somebody they're living next to had been responsible for this was almost more than, than the town could stand. And all of a sudden, people started locking their doors. They never did before. 
and they were not as friendly to strangers who were coming through town when before they used to invite them in for coffee. It just sort of changed their attitude. It sort of took away the innocence of the town, which was kind of sad. But, um, yeah, it seems to affect everybody in some way, either because they can't believe it could happen or mainly because they can't believe it, something like that could happen, I would think, yes. Very much so. That would be, you know, kind of shake them to their core, especially like what you said. They start, well, who could it be? Is it, you know, because obviously did we see any strangers? If we didn't see any strangers, then it's one yeah. of us. You know, it's... Well, I saw it change in my, you know, in my uh, when I was living in Sacramento as a child going to school, is uh, we didn't lock our doors. In fact, I can remember in the morning a tap on the door and our milkman, if anyone out there is listening, these were men that used to deliver milk to your door. He'd just come right through the door, go in the kitchen, open the refrigerator, check what we needed, put it in, and then holler goodbye to everybody as they walked out the door. Can you imagine that happening today? I don't think so. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. That's awesome. So, so. Definitely different. That's uh, yeah. And so if, it, if that's your world, I mean, that oh, my gosh, that would be yeah. suddenly you wouldn't want anybody walking inside, I can imagine. And and you know, when you have that kind of trust and then it's betrayed by a situation, you know, it you can't get rid of it. It's there. And I don't think you ever lose that little bit of, I don't think I better leave the door unlocked feeling, you know? Right. That's it, that's an un, that's just not a nice feeling, and I cannot see that happening today. You know, I I gotta yeah. I gotta say this, but and without giving away anything, one of the th- cool things that you do with your story is, you know, I thought I had you figured out, all right, <laughs> and I like it when an author can take me and and take me on little detours, and then lo and behold, I didn't know what I was thinking. <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, well, that's good. That that'll keep you interested. That it does, and you did a very good job of that. So I don't want to give any of that away, but uh, just for the listeners. Okay, I mean, well, but thank you. I'll take all the compliments you got. I love it. <laughs> well, you did an awesome job with that. So you know, uh, Patty, I got to ask this because you've kind of made a you, you've kind of said something about this here. Um, is there another another? It sounds like there's another novel on the way. Any thoughts about moving forward with these characters, or is it something different? Uh, oh, well, I thought about maybe doing like a sequel type thing, but I thought, well, I'm not as as I need to do that and make it go as smooth as I would want it to go. So yes, I've sort of gotten back into the feeling, ah, it's time, so I'm drafting characters, and I think I'm going to have uh, my story plot take place up here in the, where I'm living right now in the backwoods of beautiful, snowy Montana in the 1940s, and it might be a little bit of a spy plot, too, so we'll see where it goes. Awesome. Very good. So uh, you gotta you got to stay in touch with me. you got to let me know when it comes out so we can have you back on. I absolutely will. Yes, sir. That would be awesome. So, uh, uh, Patty, before we close, let's remind everybody one more time if they uh, where they can go to connect with you and find out more, that website you got. Okay. The website is lowercase letters, author, pcsmith, S-M-I-T-H, dot com. And it's got, my grandson put it together for me. I think it's fantastic. Of course, you know, he's my grandson. So, yeah, it'll give you all the information you need if you want to know anything more about me or the book. Excellent. And the and the book is The Shingle Weaver's Picnic, which is awesome read. It just, uh, you're going to, it's it's got uh, all kinds of good stuff happening here. We got mystery, we got uh, friendships, and we got uh, drama. You got it. So, good stuff. The uh, uh, Patty, I like to ask, my guests a couple questions that have nothing to do with the main topic it's just questions I like to ask and and here's the first one I'd like to ask you 
How do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Well, I think that's something you learn with age because everyone gets into that situation. You know, life gets messy. It just does. <laughs> and it gets messy in different ways for everybody. And if you're trying to be a mom and a wife and a volunteer in your community and you're, you're wishing that you had time for something artistic, uh, yeah, it, it gets difficult. So I, I learned how to just give myself permission to just back off, take a little break, and then go back and start over again. And you get more energy that way. And that's one of the things I've noticed or surprised me most, I guess, about the questions I get about the book is I've gotten uh, correspondence from so many younger women. They're just about ready to be empty nesters, but not quite yet. And they were so glad to hear and to see that their time for their own creativity hasn't passed them by, but it's never too late. There's an artist inside everybody, I believe, and you just give that artist time and they can pop out. So um, it's a good thing. Very cool. Thank you. And last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Well, I do have a teacher. Well, I think I had a couple in school that were pretty great. But the one I think is closest to me right now is my very first writing teacher. I took online writing classes at Gotham in New York. And uh, she was one of these perfect teachers when you first start. She knows how to let you grow and bloom and not crush your spirit because you wrote or said some dumb thing. So she and I have been friends for almost 20 years. I've never heard her voice. We're just e-friends, and uh, we've been through all kinds of things together. And I would have to say that her trust in me uh, to be able to do this is what got me started. So, yes, she stands out in my mind a lot. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, Patty, I can't thank you enough for talking with me today. The Shingle Weaver's Picnic is an engaging story that keeps you wanting to read more. The characters are real world, so much so that the the reader feels the emotions for and with and against them, which I think is so cool. And I I couldn't stop reading. Uh, Wishing you the very best in all you do. (laughs) I'm so glad. Well, thank you for having me, Steve. I really, really enjoyed our chat. Hey, did you know that you can buy me a soft drink? That's right. By going to buymeacoffee.com slash Stephen Mileto, you can support Teaching Learning Leading K-12 by making a donation. And it's really cool. We got this little cool uh, soft drink cup right there. <laughs> that would be so awesome if you do that. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash Stephen Mileto, and you can help support Teaching Learning Leading K-12. Thank you so much. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.